This is the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. On June 27th, Avital Chizik Goldschmidt wrote an article in the foreword entitled The Jews Who Ignore Immigrants While Employing Them. The article caused quite a stir as it openly and courageously called out many in the Orthodox community who exhibit and express racist and xenophobic attitudes, not to mention the hypocrisy of many who support an unprecedented crackdown on illegal immigration while simultaneously employing illegal immigrants as workers in their upper-class homes. Avital Chisa Goldschmidt is the life editor at The Forward and was previously a reporter for Haaretz. Her essays have appeared in the New York Times, Salon, and Tablet. Avital teaches journalism at Stern College for Women and does pastoral work alongside her husband, Rabbi Benjamin Goldschmidt, in Manhattan's Park East Synagogue. I'm honored to have Avital on the show today to discuss the prevalence of racism and xenophobia in the Orthodox community. Avital Chizik Goldschmidt, thank you so much for being with me today on the Orthodox Conundrum. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we begin, let me just tell you a story which I think will illustrate the point I wanted to discuss today. And it's a very simple story. It's not even a story that has some major moral or has some major chidush at the end of it, but it's telling nonetheless. I was walking down the street a couple years ago with a local American person. I'm here in Arampe Shemesh in Israel. And this person is a good person. He's a doctor, a person I really, really like. He just so happened to be talking to me about basketball. And he mentioned that at one point, he really was a big fan of the Boston Celtics. Now, I'm from Boston. I'm a fan of the Boston Celtics, too. And when I asked why he, not a Bostonian, is a fan of the Boston Celtics, he said, because I love Larry Bird. Why does he love Larry Bird? He's a great player. And he said, because he's one of us. He's one of ours. And then he mentioned, what does he mean by one of ours? He didn't mean he's Jewish. He's from French Lake, Indiana. He is not Jewish. He's white. He's not black. And he didn't use the word black in saying that. And this is a person who's a good from guy, an upstanding member of the community. And yet that story, because it's so simple and almost so obvious, to me illustrates the terrible attitude that seems to take place and seems to be prevalent, at least to me, among many members of the Orthodox community. What attitudes, Avital, have you seen? You know, I think it's all anecdotal. Uh, so it's, it's really, it's kind of hard to uh, encapsulate, but I, I do believe it is pervasive to the point that we have become desensitized to it, uh, that it's become so common. Um, you know, whether it's kids wearing tzitzis, shouting at Hispanic server workers that they'll be deported, or, you know, the way that I see the help, quote unquote, uh, domestic workers being treated in private homes, in synagogues, in schools. Those are the others that come kind of closest to this community. There are no actual for the most part, friendships um, or even like collegial relationships with non-Jews or non-whites, non-white non-Jews rather. So the closest that others may come to us are in these kind of close quarters, which are written about. I see it consistently, you know, and I I think it's something that many people um, actually observe in their day-to-day lives. I wrote this piece for the forward and the reaction that I received from readers was overwhelming. People were saying, you know, oh, my God, I see that. That's my Shabbos table. That's my, you know, my parents or my, you know, my aunt and uncle somewhere. I see this all the time. And, of course, you're referring to that really, really meaningful article, which is the reason I originally contacted you and asked you to be on the show, The Jews Who Ignore Immigrants While Employing Them, in the uh, forward of June 27th. It was a very powerful article, Avital. 
And thank you. Where do you think it's coming from? I realize this is, as you said, it's largely anecdotal. But as religious Jews who believe that every human being was created B'Tselem Elohim in the image of God, I would hope, or I would have hoped, that Orthodox Jews would be more immune, at least theoretically, to feelings of racism, xenophobia, and the like. And that should even be doubled by the fact that Orthodox Jews and all Jews are themselves the children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren of immigrants themselves. Whether legal or illegal is a technicality almost. So why do so many religious Jews, it seems, of course, I don't mean all, I certainly don't mean all, but why does it seem to be, at least anecdotally, so prevalent in this particular community? Well, I think we talk a lot in the community about our distinctiveness, our specialness, um, we are a separate group, uh, you know, a nation on its own. So there is something of that, perhaps, that we are, con- you know, we're drilled into our childhood and our yeshivas, you know, that this is, that we are this very special group, and that could be mistranslated into superiority. But I also think there is something foreign that has seeped into the community, at least as I see it in the States. Um, you probably have a different experience in Israel, um, and that could be a larger conversation about the dangers of Zionism. But, you know, the attitude here in the States is we are the white ruling class, um, especially in today's political climate. Um, Wait, I do, do you mean among very, Jews or among whites in general? Among among conservative Jews, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your, your anecdote that you just shared about walking with your friend and your friend saying that the white basketball player is one of ours is very similar to the way people are talking about those in power today politically. People in the community, I mean, these are our people. You know, Jared is one of our boys. Right. That's the sense. Um, we are wealthier than ever before. We are more influential. We are at the top of every industry. Um, and particularly the Orthodox community is probably more powerful than ever before, potentially even in history. I mean, this is, you know, the for the money, the political power, the clout of this community is enormous. Um, and especially today, as we really do have channels to the White House, direct channels. Uh, so there is this, I think, delusion that we are this ruling class all of a sudden, and people are kind of getting drunk on this. That is my sense. I mean, again, this is anecdotal, but there's a sense of entitlement that we are at the top. You know, we are infallible. And I think that's really dangerous. You know, I don't want to turn this into a uh, discussion about the current president. I did that in a previous podcast and in different contexts, I'm happy to do it. And I've been very clear about my opinions. and I'm not a fan of Trump, to say the least. How much to let's leave it at this particular point, how much of this feeling of infallibility, this feeling of being at the real top of the pile, do you think is a more recent feeling that has happened after President Trump's election? And how much of this is something that's been going on for a longer period of time, even back when Obama and Bush were president? I think it's before. I don't think it's connected to Trump. It's just exacerbated by Trump. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think Israel is stronger than ever before. That obviously fills American Jews with pride, particularly conservative American Jews with pride, as unfortunately Israel is becoming a partisan issue here. Also another conversation. But right. I think this is something from before. I think this is, honestly, I think a lot of this is a symptom of wealth. There is a sense that anything is accessible, is available to us. Um, even if you're Orthodox, you know, nothing is limited. And I've, I've written quite a bit about the largesse of the community. 
again, some areas of the community, obviously not all Orthodox Jews are hyper wealthy and going on, you know, cruises to Thailand or whatever. But there is this sense that we have climbed to the top. Now, I think it's just a it's a product of the economy, a product of the community in the past, maybe 10, maybe 20 years. I'm not old enough to be able to give you, you know, a specific kind of um, data. And unfortunately, we don't have data in the community. That is probably one of the most frustrating things as a journalist here mm-hmm. is that there is so little information that is collected um, that is accurate. But I do think this is unconnected to Trump. This is from before. Maybe just Trump has allowed people to be more open in the way they talk about it, even if their feelings are the same. That's what I would think myself. Um, open, but also he's articulated some things and made you know certain things right, okay to say. Now you know it is it is okay to harass someone you know in the street that they're not American and go back to where you're coming from. And we're seeing a lot of that appearing in social media. And the more it appears, the more it becomes normal. What do you think is the relationship between the Orthodox community itself versus other parts of the Jewish community when it comes to this issue? It seems to me, again, I'm in Israel, but my general sense, and I think the numbers actually show this, the vast majority of Jews, not speaking about Orthodox Jews, but the Jewish community at large, is very liberal. It's not conservative. It's not Republican. And it also voted largely in the past election for Hillary Clinton and not for Donald Trump. And I would think, at least again anecdotally, the larger Jewish community, which also is very affluent as well, it's not just the Orthodox community, doesn't seem to share to the same degree these prejudices that are often manifest in the Orthodox community. Do you think that's true? Um, to an extent. Uh, you know, I was discussing this with some colleagues at the Forward, and certainly I do believe these attitudes exist beyond the Orthodox community. You know, you will find them in a conservative Jewish community in Westchester or Short Hills, New Jersey or Long Island. But having said that, there is a growing rift between the Orthodox community and the rest of the Jewish community here, largely because of these political issues and stances. Um, Now, you will find that there are liberal kind of privileged Jews here who may secretly harbor these sorts of ideas, yet publicly will deride Trump and deride America first and support kind of liberal views, yet in private may still have those kind of racist prejudices. You know, at the end of your article, you said something which is really almost a cri de cur, talking about the way that this is not just an academic subject. We really have lost something. I'm going to quote you what you said. You said, we have lost our way. We are busy with our rams and fatlings and blood of bulls, you're referring to, you had just quoted, a prophet. Our black hats and glock kosher, mahadrin, mahadrin, and hashkama midyanim, our early prayer services, while willfully ignoring the strangers, the widows, and orphans, even in our very homes. We have grown complacent, fattened by our wristwatches and our Passover hotel programs, apathetic to those around us. I'm afraid for our people. I'm afraid for our moral character, our communal conscience. God himself reminds us of the dire consequences of this apathy. He warned Isaiah in the very same passage. And when you lift up your hands, I will turn my eyes away from you. If we turn away from others, God will turn away from us. We cannot afford to turn away. And Avital, those are very powerful words, which leads me to my question, which is, what do you think we can do? Obviously, you as a journalist and you have a platform, it's great to go and tell people to start looking in the mirror and to start becoming aware of this, even those who are doing it, and of course, those who are not, but perhaps can raise an outcry, can start to say something when you're walking down the street and somebody says something about how Larry Bird, as a white player, somehow is more connected to us as white Jews. Beyond just saying those words, what can we as a community do to uproot this racism? Yeah, um, it's a big question you're asking. 
I think it starts in schools. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time studying the mitzvot about treating a stranger in theory, but rarely is it ever applied. You know, I think it's okay to talk about helping non-Jews too. There's this large emphasis on helping one's brother first, according to the halacha, but that seems to imply that we help our brothers to the exclusion of others, which is also not right. You know, there are some interesting programs that are tackling this. NCSY started doing service learning missions as the Zishim University to communities you know, ravaged by natural disaster. My sister just returned from volunteering in Puerto Rico, but those are nice, but they're more photo ops. And I'm wondering if there are other ways for us to learn about other human beings at a younger age, um, step outside of our ghettos. You know, I grew up with a very, with my father in particular, was was very consistent in, in ensuring that we as children never assumed privilege over others. You know, if we walked by the non-Jewish security guard or the, or the custodian in yeshiva and we did not say good morning to them, he would get upset. There, There is something to that. I mean, honestly, I believe rabbis must be talking about this in their sermons. It's not enough to talk about Israel anymore. No, I was just going to ask uh, you about that question, about our job of our leadership, whether it's lay or uh, rabbinic leadership. So what should rabbis do? Give an example. What do you think? So... There are some Orthodox leaders who are stepping up and, you know, Rabbi Shafran has written some some really good pieces for us actually at the forward about um, racism in this community. And the interesting thing is I received quite a lot of letters from respected Orthodox rabbis in support of my speaking up, all obviously off the record, you know, in private. Wait a minute. Uh, Why do you mean obviously off the record in private? Why off the meaning, record? Because I, because I don't see most of these rabbis getting up and talking about, you know, the racism in our midst. But wait, this isn't that exactly private. the point? Isn't that exactly what they should be doing? Of Meaning, course. But supporting here's, here's you in private doesn't help here's, anybody. Right. As I understand it, again, as an observer, leaders are noticing these social trends in the community, and they are increasingly concerned, rabbis in particular. I don't think they will speak up because I believe they're afraid to upset community members, namely local balabatim, who are the ones who are paying bills and salaries, after all, who tend to be more conservative on these issues. Um, wow. You know, that that is my very blunt assessment of the community as it stands right now. That's a scary uh, assessment. Yes. I mean, this is, again, another a larger conversation. But as I see it, Rabbanim are influencing Orthodox street culture less and less these days outside the cloistered walls of the yeshiva. I think our culture has shifted. We look to the most financially successful in our local communities. They're the aspiration for many young Orthodox Jews rather than Rabbanim. This is so interesting you're saying this only because I think, again, I'll say it for probably the third time and I apologize, just I'm in Israel, so things are different here. But we all know that one of the major things that has changed in Orthodoxy over the past 100, 150 years is the shift where there's more reliance on rabbis, on centralized figures, on the Rebbe or the Gadol Hador and the need for Das Torah, et cetera, et cetera. And regardless of someone's opinion about what Das Torah is, it seems to me almost a terrifying thought that when it comes to a regular halachic issue that's on a ritual level, you know, whatever it might be, yes. or even things like that, we're going to have Das Torah and you can't ever violate that. Whereas when it comes right. to things like racism and communal things that actually are on the street, they have no say. That's very scary. Right. Yeah. Uh, listen, rabbis are afraid to touch politics, and there is some legitimate. There is a lot of legitimate reason for that, right? You don't want to isolate people, you know, from coming to shul because they may not agree with your politics. But I do believe there are moments where, you know, there are moral dilemmas that are facing a community or a nation, and in those moments, rabbis have to be standing up and saying something's problematic here. And I think once we start calling racism and xenophobia 
an issue of politics, we're in big trouble. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But the sad thing is that in the States right now, that seems to be the case. If you care about racism and xenophobia, you are a liberal social justice warrior. And that is a tragedy. When you say that some rabbis are doing something about it, they're stepping out and they're speaking at least privately about it. Is there a way that, I mean, obviously this is a big question to ask you as a journalist, but from your experience and seeing the community, what do you think can be done in order to force that issue onto the streets aside from speaking out? Or is that all we can really do? You know, my, it's a good question. I, I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. So my job is to hold up a mirror and let the community figure it out. So I honestly don't know. I don't have solutions. I wish I wish we could see people talking more openly about these problems. I think people are, again, terrified. There is a lot of social um, there's a lot of stigma. Listen, I, I had to muster up a lot of courage in order to say this. <laughs> I was risking a lot. There's a lot of social stigma to be talking about how we treat non-Jews. Um, you know, that's airing our dirty laundry. That's, mm-hmm. that's one of like the biggest sins in Orthodox Judaism today. So I don't know, beyond talking about it, beyond being conscious of it, I don't know. Listen, as someone who works in liberal media, I have personally changed a lot. You know, I, I came from, you know, the Orthodox shtetl myself, and I never spoke to people different from me until a certain point in my life. And and I've changed because I've just become more conscious, more sensitive, understanding that there are other people with different experiences and with different, with less privilege maybe than I do. You know, this conversation about privilege in America is a real thing. It's a real problem here. It is not just another liberal snowflake buzzword. It's a real problem here. And if we don't face it head on, we are going to, I mean, I think we're, we're leading ourselves to self-destruction. Well, at the risk of uh, trying just to flatter you, I commend you and really thank you for writing that article. And I hope at least on some level, I know it did take a tremendous amount of courage and perhaps that courage alone and the fact that you wrote it and were able to take a stand will help to open a conversation. That's what we're doing now. And hopefully other people will do the same. I want to just throw something out Two other possibilities that I thought of as you were as you were talking. You mentioned your sister came back from, I think, helping out in Puerto Rico. Another thing that I think might be important just from my own experience is that too often these missions or whatever you want to call them are framed as a yes. chance to be Makade Shem Shemaim. And that's great. Yes. Of course they are. But on some level, yes. by saying that, it makes it again about us as opposed to yes. this is a chesed opportunity, which is a very different way of framing it. Well, as I understand, I don't think these are really focusing on a Kiddush Hashem per se. Oh, I do okay. think they're more about the students learning from the experience. Um, having said that, there is a little bit of like the white man's burden, you know, like we're going out there and we're kind of tokenizing the other. We're building some huts for them, a right. local school, whatever it is. That is definitely one of the challenges in these in these sorts of programs. But I do think that's a huge step for the community as it stands right now. And far be it from me to start saying that we shouldn't care about being Mikhail Hashem Shemayim. Kiddush Hashem is pretty big. I accept that. 100%. I just think 100%. sometimes the way we frame it can often do it. And also another thing is the language itself. The way we talk about the other with a capital O. Yeah. The way we talk about people who are non-Jews, very often in private conversation, we allow ourselves to say things that... If we heard someone speaking about Jews that way, we would be pretty offended. I think we have to be more careful about that as an Orthodox community A hundred, well. Yes, yes. So I always look at these things as almost like Mad Libs, right? Like if you would replace, you know, Hispanic with Jewish, how right. would that feel to you, right? And you'd be horrified. Um, I, I, this is, you know, this is, but this is ancient. This is a, 
a consistent theme throughout Tanakh, right? That we are special, we are different, and we should not grow too haughty. Our, our biggest problem was that we are Am Orev, that we're arrogant, that, you know, and, and that's, that is going to be our stumbling block for eternity. And we are clearly still struggling with that same problem today. Avital Tizik Goldschmidt, thank you so much for your insights, for taking the courage to take a stand. And I really appreciate your coming on the Orthodox Conundrum today and talking about these important issues with me. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Again, I recommend that everybody listening read Avital's article, The Jews Who Ignore Immigrants While Employing Them from the June 27th Forward. I personally learned a lot from this conversation, and in my mind, a few lessons stick out. First of all, we need to be courageous, and we need to take a stand. When we're confronted with racism, xenophobia, we must openly and verbally reject it. This shouldn't be a political issue, a political opinion. This is a moral necessity. But even if somebody isn't convinced about the moral rightness of this, at least from a perspective of self-respect, we have to understand that regardless of our societal position nowadays, racism morphs into anti-Semitism. You don't have to go further than Daniel Jonah Goldhagen's 2013 study, The Devil That Never Dies, to see that the Jewish position anywhere, with the exception of the land of Israel, is tenuous by definition. So even if you aren't convinced of the ethical and moral necessity of combating racism, and that's a position which I don't respect, but I accept it exists, you should at least reject this out of an acute sense of self-preservation. Because if you don't reject racism, if you allow racism to grow... Ultimately, it will be directed against you. A second lesson is that we have to insist that our teachers, rabbis, and leaders deal with the subject of racism and xenophobia forthrightly. We have to insist they not hide from the subject anymore. And alongside that, those of us who recognize this moral imperative must ensure to the best of our ability that those voices that are courageous enough to speak openly about Salim Elohim, the image of God, and the need to reject racism, those voices must be treated as authoritative. Third of all, we have to demand that our schools and yeshivot, when they teach our children, balance the teaching about our separateness with the teaching that we must love the stranger. And yes, loving the stranger is a halachic concept with specific application in specific circumstances. I know that. But the values implicit in that mitzvah have to be brought to the fore. And that leads me to a fourth point. From Avital's analysis, it seems that on some level, we've imbibed two ideas that fundamentally contradict. One, that we're separate and special. And two, that we're the leaders, we're privileged, we're society's acknowledged elite. So it's one thing to acknowledge that we're Amhanivchar, the chosen nation, we have a special role, that we're God's special people. That's a reality, a hashkafic reality, and of course, I accept it. When it's seen as a responsibility, as a requirement to be the best, as a call to action, less an inherent quality than a demand to actualize and demonstrate this reality by following Hashem's will and doing what we can to improve society, in that case, this idea gives us strength to truly be the chosen nation. But when chosenness, or the idea of chosenness, is combined with entitlement, which is not what it's supposed to be at all, 
when chosenness is a title of nobility rather than a demanding call to action. It is very damaging. And it sounds as though this combination, perhaps born of wealth, privilege, lack of fear, and yes, a lack of sense of responsibility, has infected too many members of the Orthodox community. Chosenness must be a call to improve society. And when it's not, we're doomed. I remember a long time ago, I went to one of my kids' Purim programs at his school. And they brought in a speaker at the beginning of Adar to talk about Purim. And this speaker was a rabbi, not someone in the school, but a rabbi who was brought in. And he asked the kids, they were young kids at the time, he asked the kids in the class a question. He said that he didn't understand why Mordechai turned in Big Tad and Teresh and told Esther to tell Ahasuerus that they were after him. He said, wait, Ahasuerus was a big anti-Semite. Wouldn't it have been good if he had allowed him to be murdered? Why would he turn in the people who were going to murder the anti-Semite? Some kids gave some tentative answers, and he rejected all of them. And the answer he gave at the end was this. He said, Why did Mordechai turn in Big Tan and Teresh, the two plotters? Because better to have two dead goyim than one dead goy. I was in complete shock. By the time I realized what had happened, he moved on to his next point. I'm haunted to this day that I remain silent in the face of that statement. I still can't believe I didn't say anything. Not because I didn't realize it was wrong. I was fully aware that it was wrong. But in the shock of the moment, I failed to act. I wish I had said something. I wish I hadn't remained silent. Another moment is here. We dare not stay silent. I'm Scott Kahn. This is the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>